Let me tell you about our special guest. He is a preacher, a ministry coach. He is the founder and host of the Dreamers and Disciples podcast. You can go online anywhere podcasts are available and find that. He served 14 years as worship pastor of Elevation Church out of Charlotte, North Carolina. We love Elevation Church. They've been a big supporter of 1C Church for about six years now. And we have a personal relationship with them and we're thankful for them. But what's so cool is Wade was their worship pastor for 14 years. He was one of the founding worship leaders among the likes of Mac Brock, Chris Brown, and he's a co-writer on songs we love to sing, like Resurrecting, Oh Come to the Altar. When you hear those world, words, you're hearing Wade's heart. And despite all those amazing things, his greatest passion is to help people build a discipline in their life that cultivates a heart grounded in a personal devotional relationship with Jesus Christ. That's number one. And that's so good because that is numero uno for why churches do this thing called ministry. It's the Great Commission, baby. We are so excited to welcome, give them your loudest one seed praise your loudest 2023 one seed praise to our friend, Wade Joy. Good morning. You guys can have a seat. Um, man, thank you so much, worship team. What an incredible time in the presence of the Lord. And I am just so thrilled to be here at One Seed Church. You all have been so incredibly kind and welcoming, and just the spirit of Jesus is so evident uh, in the place today. And I have gotten um, to love Pastor Jeff and Michelle, had an amazing time at dinner with them last night. And not only was I just overwhelmed with their kindness towards me, but just hearing the story of your church is so inspiring. And just to see, to me, just from the outside looking in, it is so evident that God's hand is on you and that he's leading you every step of the way. And, and what I love about Pastor Jeff is he's one of those rare combinations of humility and boldness. And a lot of times people think that those are opposites, but they're actually meant to go hand in hand. So he has the humility um, to say, you know, realize that this is not about any other person other than Jesus. And because he believes that and because he depends on Christ, he's also willing to say yes to whatever the Lord leads y'all to do as a church. And so just as I was hearing your story and just hearing about um, anytime a door would close, y'all didn't stop. You just kept pushing in saying, God, what, what do you have for us next? And look at you now. You're in the middle of something that is, is beautiful. It's growing, and God is going to use your church. I believe the best days are ahead. And I'm just I'm honored to be here. So thanks for having me. Can you celebrate this church and thank God for it? Thank God for Pastor Jeff, for Michelle. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to be here today. Like he mentioned, I served as worship pastor at Elevation Church for 14 years, and that was a huge blessing uh, to me and to our family just to see God change our lives there. And I got to see all three of my kids give their life to Christ there. 
Um, and speaking of them, let me just show you a picture of my family. This is the most important thing you need to know about me. This was us just a couple weeks ago. We went on a trip to the Grand Canyon, um, but that's my wife, Ferris. We've been married for 17 years. She's the love of my life. Um, she is amazing. And then I've got twins, Adley and Liana right there, and then little Sydney. Um, she's 10, and my twins are teenagers. They're 14, and just pray for me, y'all, because I got two teenagers in my house, and brings all the teenage things. And then little Sydney, she kind of runs the house right now. She is, me and my wife are very laid back and Sydney's whatever the opposite of laid back is. So we're not exactly sure where she got it, but we, we love it. It keeps our house fun. But just also pray for me because with three girls or four women really in the house, um, the word count in the Joy House is very high right now. <laughs> so I'm trying to learn how to just listen and pretend I understand everything that's being said with like four simultaneous conversations. But I love my life. I love my family. And I love that I get to preach God's word at 1C Church today. So are you ready? All right, let's, let's dive in. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And I'm really excited about the word that God has given me, um, what he's been teaching me uh, about worship in this season. And so Romans 12, 1 through 2, I think it'll be on the screen, but it says this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So I want to preach today on the topic, stay in position, stay in position. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this beautiful church, this amazing just gathering of, um, of Jesus followers, Lord. I, I just thank you that you're in our midst. We don't have to beg you to be here, uh, for you promised that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are also, and that you are inside of us. Um, through the Holy Spirit. And so, God, you are here, and you are speaking through your word. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, and give us the courage and the faith to obey. Help me to speak with clarity and boldness and precision, Lord. Um, and so we love you. We pray that, above all else, the name of Jesus will be magnified today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so I um, am a child of the 90s. And one of my favorite shows was Saved by the Bell. Did we have any Saved by the Bell fans? All right. So Zach Morris was my hero growing up. I wanted to be Zach. I remember getting my hair cut one day, and I took a picture of Zach to my barber. I was like, give me that hair. Didn't quite work out that well. But I wanted to be Zach. And one of the things that I thought was the coolest thing about Zach, do you all remember his, his cell phone? It was like the massive, like, it was like the first cell phone I remember seeing. It was like the size of a toaster. But I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And at Spring Valley High School in Columbia, South Carolina, I became one of the first kids to not get a cell phone, but I got a car phone. Do you remember the car phones, like, that were physically attached to your car? It was attached to my red Toyota Celica. And I thought I was the man when I got this car phone. I thought it was gonna help my dating life because I was a short guy in high school and I needed all the help that I could get. And I was like, hey girl, you wanna come sit in my Celica and check out my car phone? Which sounds really creepy and don't do that if somebody asks you to do that. But you know, I was, I was trying to work what I had. And so I, I loved my car phone, but the thing is back in 
you know, the early 90s, um, you didn't take for granted that you would always have cell service like you do now. And so it was very spotty. And I, I noticed that especially that summer I worked at a Christian camp called Camp Longridge. And, you know, I tried to find a signal all over the camp and I could never find one. And so one night, I remember there was this long line in the canteen with the staffers all waiting to make their calls. And I needed to call my girlfriend because by this time I had talked someone into dating me. And I was like, okay, I got I to gotta call Susan tonight. But I didn't want to wait in the line. I was like, you know what? I've got this car phone. There has to be a signal somewhere. So I drove all the way around the camp. And I finally went to the top of the camp, the highest point of elevation at the camp. It was the softball field. And I remember I drove up and down the softball field and couldn't find a signal. And then finally, I found like this one little spot where I actually got a few bars of signal. And if I like drove the car a little forward, I'd lose the signal. A little backwards, I'd lose the signal. But right there in that sweet spot, I could make a call. Had to keep the call short because a five-minute call in 1992 cost about the same as my monthly bill now. So I had to keep it short and sweet, but I knew that that was where I could get a signal when I was in the right position, when I, everything was under ideal conditions. And I realized over the past year or so that I have thought a lot of my life that worshiping God was a lot like that car phone, that I could only worship him under ideal conditions if I had a good day, if my heart was in the right place, if I was in a good mood, if everything in my life was going according to my preferences, then I could worship God. Then I could bring my heart to him. Then maybe he could hear me in worship, but everything had to be exactly right. And as a retired worship leader, I would tell you that you were created to worship. And I believe that. We're all created to worship God. But here's the problem for me, and maybe you've experienced this problem. A lot of times, I don't feel very worshipful. In fact, most days, I don't feel like I'm just in the presence of God all day, having like this amazing experience of his presence where I'm hearing from him and his voice is audible and all the things that you think you need to feel to worship God. I don't feel close to God every day. And I know you're like, well, you're up there preaching. Aren't you supposed to feel close to God? No, I'm like y'all. Like I have bad days. Pastor Jeff, we have bad days. And there's a lot of days that are just normal and monotonous, and I don't feel very worshipful. I don't have a worship team following me around every day singing worship songs. I used to, to work every day with Elevation Worship, and they didn't follow me around singing The Blessing or Graves in the Gardens every day. Um, and to make it even more complicated, my heart can be pretty crowded. Tell me if you feel this way. Worship and worry can share room in my heart. I feel like peace and panic are like fighting for space. And um, I think that sometimes grief and gratitude feel like they're always at odds, playing a tug of war in my heart. So my heart can feel very messy. It can feel very crowded. And I can come into a worship experience like this, and I can feel like I don't even know how to sing these songs sometimes because of the week I had. And so how is God even, how is this any more than just me singing a song? How is this actually worship. So if worship is like my car phone and everything has to feel just right and be just right and I had to have the right week, then I'm in trouble. But thankfully, we don't have car phones anymore. or not, They're not as present. We have these. I have my iPhone. I know, Pastor Jeff, you're an Android guy, so I'm not going to judge anybody's phone choices here. 
But this is an upgrade because it's 100% portable. See, I couldn't drive my car and use it in the hospital. I couldn't take it on a plane and use it in another country. I couldn't use it, um, you know, when I'm sitting there at my desk having a bad day at my job. But I, I have been able to use this anywhere. I've used it in a hospital. I've used it at home. Um, I've used it in Missouri now. I've used it in England, in Israel, in Australia. I've used it in Charlotte. This works everywhere. And the condition to make it work is just that it's in position, that it's with me, that I carry it with me. Because if I carry it with me, then I can actually use it. So I used to think that I had a car phone purpose or a car phone worship where I had to be in a certain spot to truly encounter God in worship. But what I'm realizing is that worship is meant to be much more like my iPhone. As long as my phone is with me, I can use it. I don't have to be in a certain position, a certain um, uh, mood. I don't have to have a certain emotion. I just have to carry it with me. So here's what I've come to tell you today in just one sentence. And if you get nothing else, get this one sentence. So if you're a note taker, write this down. Worship isn't about getting to the right place. It's about keeping our hearts and our lives in the right position. It's about keeping our hearts and our lives in the right position because you can carry a spirit of worship anywhere. And if we're created to worship, if that's our purpose, that means we can carry our purpose into any situation as well. So you can carry worship with you anywhere. You just have to learn how to keep your heart in a position of worship. So let me give you this one disclaimer because I don't want you to misunderstand me. Corporate worship, what we do as the church when we gather, is vital. It's commanded in Scripture. This is where our faith is stirred up and where we, we kind of get that boost that we need to take our faith into the next week. But sometimes we think that this is the only way that worship is supposed to be lived out in our lives. But this is just supposed to be the catalyst for a life of worship. And so that's what we're really going to dig in today. What does that look like. So in, in light of all that, let's read the scripture one more time. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this verse mentions sacrifices. And so in the Old Testament, uh, sacrifices had to be brought to a certain place, which was Jerusalem. And they had to be made at certain times. It was a lot like the car phone worship that we were just talking about. Uh, and these sacrifices had a lot of different purpose, uh, purposes. There was atonement, praise, cleansing, a dedication, surrender. But God was very specific about how and when and where they're supposed to be offered. But the good news is everything changed because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of the resurrection. Uh, now we don't have to go to a certain place to experience God's glory or, or for God to be present in our worship. Uh, our life is now hidden with Christ and God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit when we give our lives to Christ. We place our faith in him. So we carry the spirit of God with us. So in the Old Testament, the glory of God was a visitation. It just fell on certain people in certain places. But for those of us in Christ, the glory of God is a habitation. It went from a visitation to a habitation. We carry the glory of God with us. So because of that, our response of worship is to live in position as a constant sacrifice, a constant sacrifice 
of praise. And so, like I said, the Old Testament sacrifice had to be in a certain position on the altar. Um, and so our lives are meant to be in position on the altar of praise. Uh, and actually, the Old Testament even says that we're not just, or sorry, the New Testament says we're not just a sacrifice. We're actually, our lives are an altar as well. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.5. It says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're an altar of worship as the church. We're living sacrifices of praise as the church. And so some of you are hearing this and you're like, okay, but I don't feel like an altar. I don't feel like praising. I barely made it to church today. I couldn't sing any of these songs that with any what felt like integrity because I don't even know if I believe these words because of the week I've had. And I've wrestled with that too. And so I want to give you three ways that you can carry worship with you all week, even when you don't feel like worshiping. Three ways that you can be a worshiper instead of just going to worship. And so we're going to look at those three ways um, briefly together today. And the first is this, evaluate your direction. So if you're a note taker, write this down, evaluate your direction. Who in here is bad at directions? Be honest in the house of God and raise your hand. All right. I promise you I am worse. And I can prove it to you right now. <clears throat> so, you know, we, when I stepped away from staff at Elevation, I, you know, I do a lot more of this, of traveling to preach and work with worship teams. And my wife helps me a lot of the times um, to, to book travel and everything. And so last year, I was supposed to work with the worship team in the Woodlands, Texas. And while we were booking flights and everything, and I was having a crazy day of coaching and I just told my wife, Ferris, who, who's amazing, nothing that happens after this point is her, her fault. It's all my fault. And I need to make sure I say that because I think she might be watching online too. Um, and so I said, hey, uh, the, uh, the Woodlands is right outside of Dallas, so just fly me into Dallas. Anybody familiar with Texas geography in here? Because if you are, then you're judging me right now. And so we book everything. We book the flight into Dallas. And the church had handled the hotel and, and everything, so I wasn't worried about that. So, I, you know, a month or so passes, and I get on the flight. Everything feels normal, flying to Dallas. I, we land. I go to get my rental car, and then I just type in how far away is the hotel, thinking it's like 30 minutes. No, it was, it was three and a half hours because, just so you know, if you're ever taking a geography test, the Woodlands is not outside of Dallas. It is outside of, of Houston. And I just... Apparently didn't double check things like I should have. So my self-talk was not very good or healthy in that three and a half hour drive where I got an unexpected tour of Texas that day. Thankfully, I'd got there early enough to where I, I, you know, I didn't mess anything up. This is why I like to be early, like I was <laughs> telling you last night. Um, but as I was driving to Houston, I realized that that whole way that whole flight, I had no idea I was headed in the wrong direction. Everything felt completely normal to me. And, you know, it was all because of like one small, just offhanded comment that I didn't check, that I just said off the top of my head to my wife, that actually sent me hours and hours and hundreds of miles off course. But it never felt like it until I got there. I had no idea anything was wrong. And I want 
just to, to warn you today that you can be wildly off course in life and never even realize it. And we can be wildly off course in our worship and never realize it. Because if you're not intentional about where you want to go, you might not like where you end up. So we have to make sure we're starting from the right place and we're moving in the right direction with intentionality. And so there's a direction your heart moves towards, and it's usually not in the direction of worship. It's usually not in the direction of placing God first. But here's the problem. You won't realize that your heart is out of alignment until it's too late a lot of times because you're going in the exact direction that the world says to go, that culture says to go. So we don't realize a lot of times that our heart is headed in a direction away from worship, away from God, because it feels normal. It feels like it just fits everything we see on TV, everything we see in culture, everything we see on Instagram. But if we're not intentional about where we want to go, we might not like where we end up. That's why Paul tells us that we have to learn to renew our mind. Um, we have to figure out where God wants us to focus. While we can't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, because here's what the pattern of the world tells you, that you are the center of your life. The world tells you that you are the center of your dreams. You're the center of your purpose. You're the center of everything that's going to make you happy. Um, but that is not the direction of worship. Um, you're not the center of your fulfillment. You're not, your preference isn't, your desires aren't. And while God cares about those things, he really, really does, they were never meant to be the center. So when worship starts at the wrong place, it takes you in the wrong direction. And so the starting place of our worship can never be us. It can never be ourselves. True and proper worship directs your heart to acknowledge that Christ is meant to be the center. So let me read one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture and this is a picture of who we worship in Jesus. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you are thankful to worship that God, Jesus Christ, can you put your hands together? He is the only one worthy of our praise. He's the only one worthy of exaltation in our life. Worship begins and ends with him. Worship isn't about our preference. It's not about our favorite worship style. It's not about our favorite song. It's not about traditional versus modern or contemporary versus liturgy. Worship is about who God is and what he is worthy of, which is everything, all honor, all glory, all wisdom, all power. So worship reminds us that we are not the center of our life, and that is so freeing to me. Because I don't know about you, but when I tried to hold my life together, it doesn't work out very well. And I love how Colossians says that in him, in Christ, all things hold together. So if he can hold the universe together, I think he can do a pretty good job with my life. If I just trust him with it, if I just open my hands to him. So worship reveals to me and, and if you're a note taker, write this down, that the kingdom of God isn't about me being fulfilled. 
It's about God fulfilling his purpose in me and through me. And it's when we live that way that we actually find true fulfillment. We try to find fulfillment so often by placing us at the center of our life, and it never works out. But when we actually put Jesus or recognize where he's supposed to be, which is the center, that's when our hearts begin to find fulfillment and peace and joy. It's when we surrender. So with Christ at the center, though, worship flows in every direction from that because we can look, look up and we give Jesus all praise and all honor and all exaltation. That's what times like this are for. And then we look down and realize that everything is under his feet, so no problem is too big for him. No barrier is too strong for him. Everything has to bow at the feet of Jesus, and we can lay our lives down and surrender. We look out, and we see a world that desperately needs Jesus and realize that part of our worship is how we love and serve and reach out to that world. Uh, and then we can look inward and realize that God wants our heart, and we can bring that as an offering to him. But Jesus is meant to be the center of our worship. So we don't worship to stay stuck in our perspective. We worship to get God's higher perspective on our life. We worship to see from his vantage point to trust him. So evaluate your direction. Second is this, establish your discipline. Establish your discipline. So Pastor Jeff mentioned um, me being passionate about discipline. And that came from an experience uh, in 2020, which no one really likes to remember that year. We like to, <laughs> to pretend that that year never happened. But just forgive me, I have to bring it up for just a second. Um, but I remember that year was a really tough year for me, like everybody. Um, you know, I was on staff at Elevation at the time. We were trying to figure out how to do church, just like y'all were. Uh, my youngest daughter, Sydney, has a condition called cystic fibrosis, which affects the lungs, and so we were really concerned for her being at high risk, and, and at this point, we'd been, you know, running the, the race of ministry for a long time, and I remember just feeling tired and depleted and worn out, and I don't know if I would have described it as burnout, but um, it felt something like that. And I remember it was June of 2020, I was sitting on our back porch, and it was um, the week of my twins, their birthday, and I remember everybody was in the backyard having a good time, and I was just sitting on the back porch, just having one of those internal conversations with God. Have you ever had one of those moments where life is happening around you, but you and God, you're doing, you're doing business, <laughs> just the two of you? And I was just praying, and I was like, God, I have taught people that there is abundant life in you. I believe that. I believe that we're supposed to have peace in the name of Jesus, that there's no fear in the name of Jesus. But right now, I don't feel anything like close to you. I don't feel any of that peace, any of that abundant life. I do feel the fear, and I feel the anxiety, and I, I just need you to help me. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And it was one of those moments where I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke just very simply with kindness, but also with, you know, words of conviction, where I felt like he said something to the effect of, well, you are not creating the rhythms or the disciplines that give me the space to do the healing that I want to do in you. And as I reflected on that, and as hard as that was to hear, I realized that I'd gotten to the space in ministry where I would go to the word of God for a word for someone else to, to make sure I was, I was you had a good teaching for our worship team or, or when I preached. And I was just going through the motions because I'd grown up in church. And, 
and I realized, too, that, you know, my granddad was a pastor, my dad a music minister, my mom uh, raised me in church and played the organ. We grew up in church. And over time, I'd started to run from anything that felt legalistic because I had that side of me where I, like, I want to prove that I'm, that I'm worthy of love. I want to prove that I'm good. I want to protect my image. And so I realized I had a problem with that. So I ran away from legalism trying to embrace freedom in Christ and what God showed me in that process is in running away from legalism, I ran away from discipline, and those two are not the same thing. Here's what I mean by that. Legalism is um, feeling the pressure that we have to prove our worth, um, prove that we are worthy of love to God or to other people. We have to try to impress other people. We have to try to achieve perfection, and that is too heavy a weight for anyone to carry. Only Jesus could carry that weight. Discipline is just ordering your life around your priorities and your passions and what can actually make you a healthy person. And so it's not trying to prove anything. It's living out of what gives you life. And so no one would say, you know what, you're really legalistic for eating every day. That's just normal. You need to eat every day or you're going to die. Now, there are different types of diets. And if I said you have to do intermittent fasting every day, then that's legalism. But just to say, no, I need to eat every day. That's healthy, and God showed me in that season that I needed his presence through prayer, through his word, through his people in a way. I needed to structure my life around the things that mattered, which first and foremost was that God really wanted a real relationship with me. It wasn't just once a week on Sunday. It was meant to be a daily relationship, and so I began to pray in a different way. I began to read the Bible in a different way, and I began to realize um, that abiding in Jesus is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. See, worship isn't a once-a-week event for a believer. It's meant to be a daily posture of our hearts that's formed through a daily practice of abiding in Christ. And when I would hear the word abiding in sermons in the past, I would think that that was like, oh, I just think about God every now and then. But abiding isn't that. Abiding is active. So let me prove it to you. Go to John 15, 9 through 11. This is what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It doesn't mean you'll earn his love, but it means you walk in the power and the fullness of his love. So abiding doesn't happen by accident. Abiding is active, and it looks like a life of disciplined obedience. So back to Romans 12, when he says, when Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, that's a lifestyle, like we said, of renewing your mind, but renewing your mind takes new habits. It takes new disciplines. It doesn't just happen once a week. The Christian life is meant to happen daily as we put this into practice. So Daily making time for worship, daily making time for prayer, daily making time to be in God's word, to meditate on it, to ask God to change you, not out of legalism, but because you know that your soul needs it. You know that your joy needs it, your peace needs it. Um, experiencing life is, is tied to that. So it makes you a better and healthier human because you're operating out of the purpose from which you're created to know and to love God. And so these disciplines, they're important because the difference you want to see in your life 
I used to think it was all about taking these dramatic, huge steps of faith for God, that I had to do the big thing for God. And I don't know about you, but my life isn't full of a lot of those big things. Like, I have moments every now and then, but most of my life, it feels like I'm, re- I'm repeating a very similar thing, a very similar day over and over again. But uh, the difference you want to see in your life, let me encourage you, it's not found in those dramatic events we strive for where we feel like we're making a difference, but you make the most impact in the daily disciplines you surrender to and just walking with God and knowing God, being a good friend, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a faithful employee. See, worship isn't about dramatic experience in God's presence, although God will give you that. It's not only about that. But God directs us to be devoted in the daily things of walking out our faith, to live lives, like Romans says, holy and pleasing to God. So let me just encourage somebody today. If you don't feel like your life is making much of an impact for God, the greatest impact God will have in your life isn't through the giant steps of faith, but rather through the daily steps of faithfulness. So you might feel like you're forgotten. You might feel like all your dreams that you had growing up, none of them came to pass. But if you're walking in faithfulness to what God has placed you in right now, you're more successful than you think you are. You're making a bigger impact and a bigger difference than you think you are. Um, This church is making a difference because week in, week out, whether it was shut down or not, you've had your pastors. and, And those of you who have been through this for the long haul, you've just been showing up and you've been faithful. And so God honors and he uses faithfulness. That's why I love Pastor Jeff's sermon uh, last week, Decision Trails. And I think, hopefully I don't butcher your quote, but you said, Decision Trails today lead someone else's tomorrow. And so what kind of trail are you leaving through your personal devotion to God? For your friends to see, for your family to see, your spouse, your kids. Are they seeing somebody who really is walking out their faith in the mundane moments of life? Because you believe that even the most boring moments of life can be powerful because you bring the Spirit of God with you wherever you go. What kind of decision trail are you leading there? So let me ask you this one question just to get you started. If you're like, okay, I want this discipline, but I don't know how to start. I want to pray more, but I don't know how to start. I want to actually read my Bible to hear from God, but I don't know where to start. Can you trust God enough to press pause on your daily agenda and just be in his presence? Just for five minutes. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. So notice in that verse how pausing leads to praise. Because pausing allows us to take our focus off of ourselves just for a minute and remind ourselves once again that we're not the center of the universe. We're not the center of our day. But Jesus is. So one, when I was in this season in 2020 of trying to embrace new discipline, one of the most helpful things a friend told me to do was every day at lunch, just for five minutes, take a walk around our office at Elevation and just pray the Lord's Prayer, which felt so basic to me. And, you know, I, the first couple of times I tried it, I was like, I don't really feel anything special about this. But the more I did it, the more I realized that Even if I prayed and read my Bible in the morning, I don't know if you have days like this, but by lunchtime, sometimes I forget that I'm saved because of the the meetings that went badly, the frustrations I had. And what I found is just doing this every, every day at lunch, just praying the Lord's Prayer, it reminded me that I'm not trying to build my kingdom. I'm praying for his kingdom to come. 
So it took my eyes off of myself in the middle of my day and just recentered them back on God. And I noticed over time that the second half of my day, I started to, to have more peace and more joy. So did I, feel, did I feel something spiritual every day at lunch when I did it? No. Did it feel stale sometimes? Yes. But did it refocus my heart all the time back to who, who God is and what his priority for my life really was? It always did that. So what if I just challenged you this week? Try just every day at lunch. Just pray the Lord's Prayer. You don't have to go on a walk. You can do it right there at your desk. You can put your headphones in and just so people think you're, you're on a call or you're listening to something else. But really, you're just you're saying, God, I recognize that right now I need you. And even this boring job that I hate can be worship when I do it unto you. And so can you press pause on your day just to acknowledge that you need God and that he can breathe into the most ordinary task and turn it into worship if we just turn our eyes and our hearts to him? Remember, sometimes the biggest changes you're looking for start with the smallest steps. So that's one small step. It's not the only step you can take, but try it this week, and I know God will meet you there. All right, here's the third way you can carry worship into any situation this week, and that is to embrace your desperation. Embrace your desperation, because I think the biggest thing that makes me feel like I can't worship is that my emotions disqualify me. You know, I don't feel like I have a lot of faith. I don't feel like I'm super close to God sometimes. Um, a lot of times I feel angry. I feel confused. I feel hurt. I feel disappointed. And I don't know what to do with those emotions sometimes in worship. And so, like I said, if, if some of you, it was hard for you to sing these songs today because you've just had a, a really awful week. And you're like, God, I, I kind of feel like you weren't there for me this week. How do you worship in those moments? You feel like your faith is empty. But let me encourage you today that God has met me the most in moments where I felt like I had zero faith. So I mentioned that my youngest daughter, Sydney, has cystic fibrosis. But my twins, they were born three months premature. Uh, Adley was... Two pounds, five ounces. Liana was one pound, 14 ounces. They were born at 27 weeks. And I remember the doctors told us um, that neither one of them had much of a chance of survival. Liana, on I think day three or day four after she was born, had a grade four brain bleed. And the doctor said, um, there's really nothing we can do for her. She's probably never going to walk, never going to talk, won't get out of diapers. They used the word vegetable. They told us to consider taking her off life support. And as you can see from the picture, like, the twins are doing everything the doctor said they wouldn't do now. But I didn't know that. My wife and I didn't know that 14 years ago. So I remember just feeling devastated after we got that diagnosis and not knowing what to do and, and just feeling like I got the wind just knocked out of me and feeling confused and frustrated and, and, and angry at God at times. And what's crazy is a lot of people in our church at the time were like, we admire you and your wife's faith during this because we had said we're going we're gonna to take a step and we're going to trust that God's going to heal our girls. But on the inside, we didn't really feel that way. And I didn't have the heart to tell the people who would say we have a lot of faith that it doesn't really feel like faith for me right now. But here's what I learned in those moments when you don't feel like you have faith and you don't feel like you can come to worship and you don't feel like you can pray. Do you ever have, you know, you wake up in a, 
Maybe it's at home or maybe you're traveling and you're in a hotel or something. You wake up in the middle of the night and you got to get up to, to go to the bathroom or get some water and your eyes haven't adjusted to the light. What's the first thing that you do? You just kind of reach out and you try to find something to hold on to that's stable, to hold on to that'll guide you, to hold on to that'll support you, even when you can't see the way in front of you, even when you're not even sure where you are sometimes. If you can just grab hold of something stable and you feel a little safer, a little more secure. And I realize that that's what faith feels like a lot of times. That's what worship feels like a lot of times. It's just reaching out to find the only thing stable that we can hold on to, and that is Jesus. And that's what got us through those three months in the hospital with our twins. That's what got us through um, surgery after surgery with our girls. That's what got us through times when, once again, I was extremely frustrated and and, and upset and confused with God when Sydney was born with cystic fibrosis. And I was like, God, I thought we already went through this. Now we're going through it again. But worship just kept driving me back to God when I learned that desperation shouldn't drive me farther away from the Lord. It actually can be the thing that drives me closer to him. And I want you to know that if you feel like you don't have faith, you might have more faith than you realize because faith usually doesn't feel like faith. Faith just feels like calling upon the name of Jesus and saying one word. And that one word is help. That word means more to God than the lyrics of all your favorite worship songs because that's a word of dependence. It's a worship of surrender. It's a worship of trust, of saying, you know what? I don't have to feel like I have it all together to come to God. In fact, God loves it when we come to him with all of our mess because that shows humility. That shows that we need him. I love the, the beauty of Psalm 121 where it says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. See, faith doesn't feel like faith. It feels like desperation. But desperation can lift your eyes up to God, and that's where God can come in and change your heart and change your life. So you might feel like you have zero faith today, but I feel like God sent me from Charlotte to tell you that if you have the faith to keep calling out and crying out to Jesus, you have all the faith that you need. And that he's ready to meet you here. He's ready to meet you on Monday morning, on Tuesday afternoon, on Wednesday when you get the call from the doctor that you never saw coming. God can meet you in those moments and those can be worshipful moments. Worship is not just when everything's going right. Sometimes we need to worship God the most when everything is going wrong. And worship is just a lifting of our eyes and our heart to Jesus and realize that he is with you and he is for you and that he loves you. So embrace your desperation. You don't have to bring perfection to God today, which is good news because none of us can do that anyway, but a desperate heart is an open heart. It's a heart that needs Jesus and a desperate heart is also a humble heart and a humble heart is always in position to worship. That's the heart that God loves. That's the position that God draws near to. James 4, 8 through 10 says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. God lifts us up when our hearts are in the right position, and that's the position of surrender. So I think one of my favorite postures in worship, and actually I'd love for you to stand right now, uh, it's just to have my hands open before the Lord like this. 
Because a lot of times, if you don't know, when we worship, we raise our hands, we, we clap our hands, we have our hands open like this because we want our, you can't really see what's going on in your heart, but sometimes we want our expression to model what we want our heart to do. And so one of my favorite positions in worship is just to have my hands open like this because it's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of God. I don't want to be the center of my life. I can't do that. Please just come in. I surrender to you. I trust you. I bring you my hopes, my successes, my joys, but I bring you my fears and my failures and my desperation and my pain. And so I'd love for you right now just to open both hands to the Lord just like this. And I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to think of what God is asking you to bring to him today. You know, it could be that he's saying, hey, you've tried to be the center of your life and I, I need you to repent of that and acknowledge that, that Christ is the center. And just to pray like the Lord's prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So maybe you need to pray that prayer of surrender saying, God, I give you back control because I'm no good at it. Maybe God's saying, hey, I want you to, to start looking at your life as worship, to start inviting me in to your day-to-day -day ordinary moments. He's there anyway. He just wants us to open our eyes to see how he might want to speak to you, how he might want to use you, how he might want to do things through your ordinary that will be beyond anything you can imagine. But we just have to have our eyes open. And maybe today he just wants you to embrace your desperation and bring him your hurt and your pain. Because some of you have, have walled yourself off from God and from others, and you're just feeling that the burden and the intensity of this pain all on your own. And God says, no, I want you to bring it to me. You can't carry that weight, but his yoke is easy. His burden is light. So he just wants you to lay everything at the feet of Jesus. What is the step that God is calling you to take in worship? Because worship is bringing God our everything. Our hearts, our lives, our past, our future, our present. It's all his. And we want to use it for his glory. So God, I pray for everyone that you would speak so clearly right now to what you want to say, that they will hear it, that they will receive your freedom, your love, that you are calling them closer, not out of condemnation, but because you care, because you want to heal them, you want to make them whole. And the only way that happens is when we do what we were created to do, which is to worship you. And so God, I pray that we will lay everything down at your feet, everything down at the feet of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that the only reason we can come to you in worship, the only reason we can keep our hearts in a position of worship is because you're in position right now interceding for us, Jesus. You're interceding for us with words that we don't even know how to, how to speak sometimes. You, you were in position on the cross. You took our pain. You took our sin. You took our shame. You paid for it all there. You were in position on that, in that tomb on the third day when you rose again and you defeated death. And like I said, you are in position right now at the right hand of the Father and everything is under your feet. So we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory and we worship the name of Jesus above every other name. And we declare as One Seed Church that we trust you and we love you and we need you. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.
Can you thank God for his presence today? Let's thank Wade one more time. Thank you for sharing your personal testimony with your daughters. And as a dad, my heart just ripped from my chest. And that illustration of reaching in the dark, I can only imagine. But that's so good because it's just like my babies reach for their daddy when they need a hand. I just thought of, man, why don't we reach for Jesus like that? We too, we're too strong in ourselves. And I just love that desperation is drawing us closer instead of pushing us away. And this idea of worship to y'all may be foreign to some of you, but worship is the gateway to God getting to the soil of your heart. And so if you're not familiar with repentance, that is today I'm deciding to tell God I'm sorry for yesterday, but today I'm turning from that. I'm turning, I'm cutting away from that, and I'm moving towards this. And once you've told God, I'm sorry, you're having what's called a fresh start. And so I want to challenge you to sign up for baptism if you want to take the next step of professing who you follow. If you follow Jesus Christ in here, raise your hand. If you follow him, raise your hand. The Bible says be baptized in the name of him who you follow in burial. Paul says it. I'm not saying it feels good only. This is scriptural. If you believe that, you should publicly profess that and sign up for baptism. I challenge you today, take a step of faith and let the world know I follow Jesus and I'm not ashamed. So go to 1cchurch.org slash events and sign up today and God's going to bless you. God's going to open up something you've never felt before. This is, this is how God does it, is that desperate cry Wade spoke of, he reveals more. It's called revelation. And so we're thankful for that. We encourage you to stick around in the lobby and let's say hello to Wade. Come up and meet Wade. He'd love to meet y'all. And we're just thankful that God is blessing this house. This house is, is carrying the gospel forward and that's why it exists. So we exalt you today, Lord. We give thanks now. Let's go out in our praise and worship today in a desperate way. And if the house of God can say in Jesus' name, amen.